<coughs> well, as you have just heard, the dissenters, Justice Ginsburg, Sotomayor, Kagan, and I have filed two separate opinions. Uh, in our opinion, Justice Kagan and I focus primarily on what is really a threshold question. The underlying question is whether the proclamation is lawful. If its promulgation or content was significantly affected by religious animus, uh, it would violate the statute or constitution. If, however, its sole basis for decision was one of national security, then it would be unlikely to violate the constitution. The proclamation on its face is neutral and is of a kind that other presidents have issued. But the many statements referred to in respondents' briefs, including those of the president, suggest the contrary. So, which is it? We believe it would be helpful in trying to answer this question to take account of the fact that the proclamation itself contains an elaborate system of exemptions and waivers. It provides for case-by-case consideration of visas for many persons, including asylum seekers, refugees, business people, students, children, and many others. Those persons, under the proclamation itself, that's what it says, may qualify for visas despite the general ban, and the Solicitor General asked us to consider the proclamation, quote, as it is, quote, written, and as it is, quote, applied. And consideration of whether the government is, in fact, applying the proclamation's waiver and exemption system can help us answer the underlying question of legality. On the one hand, the waivers and exemptions, if they are meaningfully applied, would mean that the proclamation resembles more closely prior presidential precedents. It would give added weight to the argument that the proclamation is not motivated by hostility to a particular religion. On the other hand, if the government is not applying the system of case-by-case exemptions and waivers that the proclamation contains, its its arguments for the proclamation's lawfulness are significantly weakened. The proclamation then would less closely resemble prior presidential precedents. It would lack findings of detriment in respect to those who would benefit from the waiver system, and the claim that the proclamation is a Muslim ban rather than a security-based ban would become considerably stronger. Unfortunately, there is evidence suggesting that this second possibility of non-enforcement may be the case. The proclamation says that the government shall Adopt waiver-related guidance, but to our knowledge, the government has not yet done so. Moreover, the government says that a few hundred waivers have been issued. But amicus briefs, along with publicly available statistics, suggest that there are many, many times that number of persons who could well qualify, including business people, students, scholars, family members, and persons who need American medical treatment. Further, there is anecdotal evidence suggesting the same, including a counselor official's affidavit in another case stating that he was not allowed to exercise the, quote, discretion, end quote, that the proclamation provides. 
Our opinion lists other facts, figures, and related examples that tend to show the same. Now, statistics and anecdotes, of course, are not evidence. But given the importance of this case, the existing evidence, and the need to ensure that the proclamation is not driven by religious animus, we would send the case back to the lower courts with the injunction in place while these matters are litigated. Regardless, we believe that today's decision leaves the district court free to consider on remand claims related to the subject we have just discussed. If, however, we must decide the basic issue now, without this added information, we would find the evidence, including the presidential statements set forth in Justice Sotomayor's dissenting opinion, we would find them sufficient to set the proclamation aside. And for these reasons, with respect, we dissent.